All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, I drank a full gallon of Haterade before I recorded this one because it's my two favorite big market teams to hate on, the Los Angeles Lakers and the New York Knicks, and boy, is it a good one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. All right, and we are back. As you are currently listening to this, I am on the shores of Croatia. Not recording from there, though. We are recording on Tuesday, July 26th, with this episode coming out today, as you're listening to it on August 3rd. So if anything has happened in the week between recordings here, cut me some slack. I'm operating in a past life. You know, if any crazy trades happen with the Knicks or the Lakers, who we'll be focusing on today... You know, as we get to the little outlook pieces, I'll try and keep it a little bit shorter on those ends for that reason. I don't want to say anything too much about how the team's currently constructed or anything like that and then find out, you know, within this week time that they went ahead and and made a major trade. All quiet still on the trade news last episode. Talked about, you know, Kevin Durant. Maybe by the time you're hearing this, this will have gone through, but, you know, I am not somebody that is a predictor of the future. I'm somebody that's talking about the past, and into the past we go, starting with, let's start with the Lakers, right? I've talked plenty about the Lakers over the course of the season, you know, basically mirroring the media that I do not love at all times, conjuring up stories, but because they are the Los Angeles Lakers and have a storied history, they do deserve to be talked about more often than not and that's why I find myself bringing it back to them but the reason we're talking about the Lakers today is because they ended up in a seating position that would be next in what we're you know going through here so with the you know 11th seed in the west they just barely missed the playing game and thus landed in this week's episode which is part five of this history lesson and after this week we are out of teams that didn't make it into the plan and starting to get better and better as we move up and up so as we wind our clocks back take you all the way back to that 2011 2012 season where phil jackson had headed out uh after just a brief one-year return to the team For those of you that remember, the Lakers did win the championship in 2009 and 2010. Kobe back-to-back his first championships without Shaq. And then went for the three-peat, brought Phil Jackson in in 2011 to see if he couldn't recreate the magic and lead the Lakers to their second three-peat in a decade. And they fell short. They fell short, and then the following season, Phil Jackson departed, and Mike Brown came in as head coach. Mike Brown, been around the block been with some championship caliber teams both as an assistant and a head coach and this year was no different but uh at this point they really start to blow it up they ship out Lamar Odom and two second rounders to bring in a first rounder they also ship out Derek Fisher who'd been a mainstay for the team for a very long time winning all the championships with Kobe Derek Fisher was always on the team hitting some shots But they trade him away along with a first pick that they had got in that Lamar Odom trade to bring in Jordan Hill. 
They also trade Luke Walton and another first-round pick to bring in Ramon Sessions and some cap space. So clearly at this point, they are trying to tinker with the engine as they drive and bring in some younger talent <clears throat> and supplement, you know, Kobe's waning years. Um, you know, not not to say that he was completely done yet, but, you know, obviously Kobe is still a star and, and they're seeing how much the gas they have in the tank. Only two years removed from back-to-back championships. Obviously, you know, the Lakers don't feel that they're very far from contention. Comey makes all NBA first team and all defensive second team in the lockout shortened season. They go 41 and 25 to finish third in the West. They face the Denver Nuggets. This is still the Carmelo Anthony Denver Nuggets at this point. And uh, they go all the way to seven with them before getting <clears throat> gentlemen swept in the second round by a Thunder team, which was on its way to the finals. The following year, <clears throat> not a great draft pick. They picked number. 30 <laughs> overall in the second round, so they don't even have a first. Um, but they also bring in Steve Nash and Dwight Howard by sending away Andrew Bynum, um, a bunch of picks and everything else. Again, trying to build around Kobe and kind of recapture the magic here. You still have Mike Brown heading things up as head coach. Um, he only makes it through five games before being replaced by Bernie Bickerstaff, who coaches for six games before Mike D'Antoni is brought in. And you know once they bring in D'Antoni, they're going to cater to the superstar and not make it very far, which is exactly what the Lakers did this year. Um, Mid-season, right about the trade deadline, Jerry Buss does pass away at age 80, which weighs heavy on the team. Obviously, he had owned the team since acquiring it in the 70s. So for him to pass away in February of 2013, it's obviously heavy-hearted for the Lakers. Um, Kobe makes All-NBA first team yet again, which makes 11 seasons basically in a row. The only season he did not make All-NBA first team was in 2005, which is fairly impressive to go from 2002 to 2013, making All-NBA every single year, which means he's the best one of two guards in uh or best best of two guards in the league for over 12 years which is impressive and uh in that 2005 season where he didn't make it there was tons of turmoil right you had Carl Malone who was who missed half the season and then pretty much retired and then you had Phil Jackson who left the team at the end of the 2004 season and wrote a book and was slandering Kobe all along the way. Uh, Shaq was traded away for a few pieces that actually brought, you know, Lamar Odom. But Lamar Odom actually missed significant time as well as Kobe due to injury. Um, so in that 2005 season, it makes sense why Kobe didn't make first team all NBA. And again, it was the only year between 2002 and 2013 that he missed all in or yeah. Missed All-NBA first team, which is incredible. Um, <clears throat> in Game 8, 78 of this season, 2012-2013, Kobe does rupture his Achilles, uh, which comes to be a theme in the last few years of Kobe, right? So, you know, I mentioned that they were trying to capture some magic in that 2011-2012 season when they traded away Derek Fisher and Lamar Odom. And I wasn't joking. That was really kind of Kobe's last good full season, right? Following season, um, 
He plays 78 games before rupturing his Achilles. The team finishes 7th in the West, but without Kobe, they get swept by the Spurs in the first round. The following season, they send out Steve Blake, bring in Kent Bazemore, and Kobe comes back in December only on December 8th, only to injure his knee nine days later on December 17th, and he's out again for the season. That season, the Lakers go 27-55, and 55, um, which is just awful for them. You know, they still didn't have a ton of draft picks following that 2014-2015 season, and basically did some some pretty good maneuvering they were able to select Julius Randle with the number seven overall pick in the first round and they also acquired Jordan Clarkson and they were able to finesse a trade that brought in Jeremy Lin as well as two second round picks by basically sending out a draft for Sergey Lishuk who probably wasn't going to get minutes regardless of the team that he was on but to bring Jeremy Lin in draft Julius Randle and Jeff draft Jordan Clarkson you know it's something to be said about the draft capabilities of the Lakers because Jordan Clarkson and Julius Randle you know while they're not Giannis or anything like that have developed into you know second or third tier stars within this league Um, you know with Jordan Clarkson being more of like a six-man role and Julius Randle showing some real promise with the Knicks and the Pelicans before you know this most recent season where he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit and to bring in Jeremy Lin, who, if you might remember from previous episodes, was one of the leading scorers after James Harden and Dwight Howard on the Rockets, um, you know, shows that the front office was doing a pretty, pretty decent job with making its selections. Um, in that season, at the start of the season, Mike D'Antoni retires, likely to go ahead and take the Rockets job. Heading in that to that, that 2014-2015 season, he's replaced by Byron Scott. Um, but unfortunately, disaster strikes again for the Lakers in the form of injury. First game of that 2014-2015 season, Julius Randle goes down with a broken leg, and he's out for his entire first season. 35 games into the season, Kobe tears his rotator cuff, so he's out again. Um, you know, basically missing the previous last season the playoffs before that season now this year he's only played 35 games and due to all the injuries Jordan Clarkson actually does get substantial playing time and is able to to garner for himself a selection to the all-rookie first team um which is good right that's that good young talent and uh I feel like you kind of have a moment here with you know Kobe coming down to his final year in the league and you have this young talent Julius Randle Jordan Clarkson the following year they select D'Angelo Russell and Larry Nance Jr. in the draft like they have this core of young talent and what could have been had the the Lakers decided to keep them together but we'll save that for a second that 2014-2015 season the team goes 21 and 61 they're finished 14th in the west that record, 21 wins, is a franchise worst record um, ever at 21 and 61, which isn't bad. The following season, 2015, 2016, like I mentioned, they they draft D'Angelo Russell, Larry Nance. They're able to sign Lou Williams and bring in Roy Hibbert for basically a second round draft pick. And it's Kobe's farewell year, right? Like everybody knows, he's retiring. He had his own kind of injury problems. During that 2015-2016, I think the thing that I remember most vividly is watching Kobe put up 60 
in that final farewell game. Meanwhile, you know, uh, Warriors are playing the Grizzlies for the best record in NBA history, but that game is regulated to not national television. That game is regulated basically to only those that have an interest. It does end up being a blowout, so it doesn't matter. And Kobe's allowed to put up an absurd amount of shots, um, but he's Kobe, right? Like that's all. That's 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 what Kobe's gonna do on his way out. He's gonna put up 49 shots and score 60 points. I'm sure it wasn't 49, but still. And it's Kobe's farewell year. Um, and the team after that, after Kobe leaves, is kind of despondent to be, you know, to use a big word there for you. Um, but basically. You know, they have this younger talent with, um, you know, the core that I had just mentioned before. Um, and then in entering the following season, because they were so bad, going 17 and 65 in Kobe's farewell season, they finished dead last in the West and set a new franchise worst record um, at 17 and 65. They, you know, they didn't have much on the team, right? So they had, you know, Jordan Clarkson, like I mentioned, Lou Williams. Julius Randle, who was able to play his entire, you know, would be his second season, but really like his first. They had D'Angelo Russell, Roy Hibbert, you know, who was basically approaching 30. They had Nick Young on the team um, and basically just just a young, young core of players who demonstrated more value today to the teams that they're on than, you know, as, as a whole on this team. Entering that 2016-2017 season, they obviously had to say goodbye to Byron Scott after two years and brought in Luke Walton to kind of coach this young core. And again, the front office does a good job. I mean, they take Brandon Ingram in the first round with the number two overall pick, and they're also able to get Ivica Zubac in the second round um, with 32nd pick in the draft, which is both pretty decent drafts picks, especially if you look at the entirety of the 2016 draft. Brandon Ingram, um, a lot of people think he's like Kevin Durant 2.0. So again, the Lakers make some make some smart moves here. Unfortunately, they do sign Timothy Mozgov to just like a ridiculous contract, um, and do end up later in the season trading away Lou Williams to bring in Corey Brewer and a draft pick from the from the Rockets, <clears throat> and. Um, you know, basically, as the team continues to just middle and be with this young, young talent not really going anywhere, um, the team goes 26-56 and 56 over the course of the season, but they do make a change in the middle by sending, you know, Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss, who's the, the son of Jerry Buss, and basically got the job with nepotism, is replaced by Magic Johnson, a different type of nepotism because Mac Magic Johnson is basically the Lakers family because of his role on the team in the 80s, and Rob Palenka. Now, the front office and Mitch did not do a bad job, I think, you know, leading up to um, departing as far as drafting talent. And I think the biggest thing with the Lakers is a lack of patience, right? The Los Angeles Lakers are a team that needs to be good for the sake of the entirety of the league, right? Like nobody wants to see a Lakers team that's bad. It's one of their biggest markets, right? After the other team that we'll talk about later, New York, right? Those are the big markets, New York, LA, probably 1A, 1B. And then you have like Chicago, Miami, 
maybe Houston after that is big markets and Golden State is becoming a bigger and bigger market, but technically still a smaller market that just got Silicon Valley, you know, money. With that being said, because there's a lack of patience, that's what leads to basically Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss being replaced by Genie Buss, who's who's took over the team at this point, um, and bringing in Magic Johnson as president and Rob Palinka as GM. And Rob's done a, a pretty good job, you know, over the last few years with the team that he's been able to put together and the moves that he's set up. Um, it did lead to a championship, which we'll get to in a second. But Rob basically gets straight to work. Maybe Magic can be credited for these moves, but because Magic's no longer with the team. I would like to give the credit to Rob um, and basically trades away the draft rights to Tony Bradley to bring in Thomas Bryant and Josh Hart, trade away Timothy, Timothy Mozgov and D'Angelo Russell to bring in Brooke Lopez and the draft rights to Kyle Kuzma. They select Lonzo Ball with the number two overall pick, um, and they also sign Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Alex Caruso. So, Doing all these moves in the offseason, you start to get a lot of the pieces that were able to form the championship team that they made, right? You get Kuzma, KCP, Alex Caruso, all in this same offseason. You offload D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov to bring in Brooke Lopez uh, along with Kyle Kuzma. You also bring in some additional size by getting rid of Tony Bradley, who's the 28th number overall pick in the first round to bring in Thomas Bryant and the draft rights to Josh Hart, who you have think has a lot of upside and can, has a proven shooter. Um, and then you, you continue to break up this young core with sending out Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr. to the Cavs to bring in Channing Frye and Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas coming off that season or two seasons removed from, you know, the stellar year that he had with the Celtics where they made a, a pretty – you know, I think they made a second rep appearance um, and went deeper than a lot of teams expected. Led by Isaiah Thomas, who, you know, had a hip injury and a death in the family, but still maintained to do pretty well before being traded for Kyrie Irving. Now, one year removed from that, he's being brought into the Lakers to replace Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr., who don't have as much production as some of the, the younger other pieces on the team. So all of those moves are made pretty much the right when Rob Palinka lands, right? He lands in March and all those moves are made in July. Um, so it's a quick, quick turnaround. Now the 2017, 2018 season wasn't a ton more successful. They were 35 and 47 to finish 11th in the West. And that leads us to the following season. They, because of all the trades and drafting that they did, they select Mo Wagner in the first round with the 25th overall pick of that 2018 draft. And a few weeks later are able to sign LeBron James to a four-year $184 million deal um, on July 9th, which was pretty big. A lot of people saw it coming, thought that he could go to the Lakers. I myself thought it, he was not going to go to the Lakers. I thought he was either going to stay in Cleveland and run it back because they had been pretty successful up until that point. Um you know, and then they were bringing in some additional younger pieces that might have been the writing on the wall, but hey, who knows? Um, Palinka's not done yet, though. He goes ahead and trades uh, Reggie Bullock 
sorry, he brings in Reggie Bullock for basically a couple of guys that they drafted in the second round. They also bring in Mike Muscala by sending out Ivica Subach and Michael Beasley, which was basically a cap clearing move because they, they waived Mike Muscala immediately after. And it makes sense. They had to clear some cap to get under to bring LeBron in, right? LeBron goes all NBA third team that year. He uh the team itself goes thirty seven and forty five to finish tenth in the West. I remember this a di- a bit differently. Um, I remember LeBron kind of like rolling his ankle and shutting it down very early, and the team being you know very basically like not successful. Um, leading up to him just shutting it down, I think he could see that the team just didn't have it, um, and in so only played a few games but LeBron actually played more games than I thought he played 55 games in total of that season which is still you know almost 30 short of the year and very close to to the amount of games that he played this year but nevertheless uh he played more games than I thought and uh and the team finished 10th in the west um they also had some injuries with Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma which was plaguing them so to finish 10th isn't bad, but it is the Lakers' sixth straight year of missing the playoffs, um, which is significant because leading up to that first season that they had missed the playoffs, uh, that was the only the fifth time in franchise history that they missed the playoffs. That 2013-2014 um, season, where you know, but Kobe basically missed the whole season. That was only their fifth time missing the playoffs in franchise history. And here they are at the end of the 2019 season, missing the playoffs for the sixth straight year, which, you know, we, we talked about the Kings last week and the agony of them missing playoffs 16 years in a row. Um, and the Lakers have only missed the playoffs 11 years up to this point, 2018-2019, um, which makes the the following year, that much more significant, right? They missed the playoffs for six years. Walton is let go as the head coach, and Magic also resigns as the president. Frank Vogel is brought in to coach the team. They also bring in Talon Horton Tucker by by trading for him. Signed JaVale McGee, signed Danny Green, signed DeMarcus Cousins, signed Quinn Cook, uh, extend KCP. And then the hammer drops for the team when they trade away Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Mo Wagner, the draft rights to DeAndre Hunter, a first-round pick, another first-round pick, another first-round pick, and a 2022 uh, second-round pick, all to bring in Anthony Davis, which is really like the game-changer. They also bring in Rondo and Avery Bradley two days after that, and also bring in Dwight Howard. So basically they constructed the entire team in a span of about a month from, you know, the draft being in late June to Dwight Howard signing on in August of the August 26th. They bring in the entirety of the team that, that basically led them to where they go. Now they still had, you know, some other pieces on the team like, uh, Kyle Kuzma, um, that they had drafted before, but <clears throat> this was, you know, a few years in the making trading all these pieces to finally land Anthony Davis. And then of course, sign some, some veterans who had 
deep playoff experience at the very least. Both Anthony Davis and LeBron are named to the All-NBA first team. The team goes 52-19 and to finish first in the West. They also went 3-5 and in the bubble. And for those of you that do remember the bubble, the eight games were not taken very seriously by the Lakers. If you look at the minutes and the leading scorers, you know, you get, you know, LeBron James with 20 points at one point. You get Cal Kuzma as the leading scorer. Um, the first three games, I would say, the Lakers used them as tune-up games and then the back five, uh, they didn't play as much. Now, they didn't win the first three and lose the next five. Um, but this team really hung its hat on defense because during throughout the course of the playoffs, you know, you get a lot of finishes, especially where the Lakers win, where the, the, both teams fail to reach 100 points, um, which is impressive. That means they're highly defensively efficient uh, in this run. Um, <clears throat> and they win the finals. They gentlemen sweep the Blazers, the Rockets, and the Nuggets. Um, and then they face the Heat in the finals. They almost gentlemen sweep there. And then Jimmy Butler has a crazy game. Um, where basically he just used everything in the tank to extend the series to a sixth game, and the Heat falls short to the Los Angeles Lakers. The LeBron James wins his fourth title. L.A. goes nuts in front of no one because it's COVID. Um, you know, I've I've made a couple takes about the validity of this championship. Whether those takes are substantiated or their fluff or me being a hater is for anybody to decide. I myself think this championship is whack. I do give credence to the fact that the Lakers were the number one seed going into the break. Um, I think it's weird that they had two players make the all NBA team. I think that's strange. I don't think that it's happened. It didn't happen for the Warriors when they were spectacular, even when they had Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, they both didn't make first-team All-NBA. That being said, history will remember the 2020 champions as being the Lakers. That's undeniable. And in so we move on. 2020-2021 season, you know, obviously they're the champions. They're trying to retool. They trade away Danny Green and Jaden McDaniels, who they acquire in the draft with the 28th overall pick for, to bring in Dennis Schroeder. They also trade away JaVale McGee to bring in Jordan Bell and Alfonso McKinney, and they also sign Marcus All to a multi-year contract. Um, you know, trying to recapture the magic for the Lakers proves to be a little bit more challenging. They are dealing with more injuries to Anthony Davis specifically. Um, as well as LeBron, they're not shooting as well with the departure of Danny Green, um, and they don't have the size as much to back up, um, you know, Anthony Davis's absence. LeBron James does the best that he can. He has a, a crazy season statistically. Um, he makes All NBA second team, but the finish the team finishes 42 and 30, which is seventh in the West and uh, loses in the first round to the Suns. Um, they did beat the Lakers, or the Warriors in a play-in game. This is the famous LeBron James, hey, I saw three rims, I just shot at the middle one after he got poked in the eye and hits a deep three to advance the Lakers from the play-in game into that first round where they do face off with the Suns. Uh, the Suns made it all the way to the finals that season, so they were you know, a fairly, fairly good team. But nevertheless, uh, the Lakers exit in the first round, which leads us to this past season. This past season, more retooling is done. A lot of contracts expire. 
they're kind of able to make some changes and and also sign some very very short contracts. They re-signed Taylor Horton Tucker, who in the bubble played a lot better than he did throughout the course of the season. Signed Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Trevor Ariza, Dwight Howard extends his contract, and then they trade KCP, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma. And the draft rides to Isaiah Jackson, who they had just acquired for Russell Westbrook and a couple of second-round picks. Now, the second-round picks, you know, in my estimation, aren't going to be very good, um, especially because one of them's least favorable, and they kind of just got the deal done. I think this was kind of the the straw that broke the Lakers back in the sense that they were destined to be bad when they traded basically three more of the major pieces that contributed to their success, KCP, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, together, the sum of their parts is better than what Russell Westbrook was able to contribute. Now, bringing Russell Westbrook to L.A., letting him play in front of his home crowd, letting him play with LeBron and Anthony Davis on paper with Rondo, Dwight Howard, you know, at the start of the season, everybody remembers the 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 talk was how old is this team and are they able to hold it together with the veteran experience and make a deep, deep playoff run. And the year was challenging for the Lakers. Tons of injuries, missed time, load management, bad chemistry, bad shots. Um, And the Lakers had one of the worst seasons they've had since setting the franchise record for least amount of wins in that 2015, 2016 season. So basically, they went 33-49 and 49 to finish 11th in the West, missed the play-in game entirely, and not even by a little. They were eliminated well before the end of the season um, and unfortunately, you know, are going to have to um, live with that as we move into this season. This season, um, I, I look at this team and I know for a fact that they are not going to be very good, right? They didn't have any first-round draft picks. They got Max Christie with the the basically the fifth pick in the second round. Who who is that guy, right? Um, they sign Juan Toscano Anderson, who's coming off the championship Warriors. They have freaking what's his name, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Austin Reeves, um, and the the team is basically Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook. Lonnie Walker, who they were able to sign. Kendrick Nunn, who barely even played last year. He probably won't get a ton of time. They signed Damian Jones. They obviously have THT. Um, Russ is on a player option. LeBron is on his last year. Pretty much, this is the the position of the Lakers, and this is the genius, I think, of, of Rob Polinka. LeBron James may sign another contract. He may not. He may move to a team that is able to draft his son if his son is able to make it to the league he is in my opinion more likely to go back to cleveland and play a year or two there and just hang him up once he gets to 20 seasons or maybe even he ties vince carter for 22 seasons and calls it a day but does so in cleveland like LeBron James 2023-2024 season is a mystery. He may retire. He's had some back and forth with Tom Brady about playing until forever. He's 37. He could play until he's 40 and retire in Cleveland. All of this is still on the table 
What's not on the table is a contract for LeBron for 2023-2024 season. He is playing in his last year of his contract. So is Russell Westbrook. If they move on from him and bring in some players that are on an extended contract, I would be very surprised. It is likely because, obviously, he fired his agent. Writing came out. You know, his agent wanted him to stay with the Lakers. It doesn't sound like that's what Russell necessarily wants to do. You also get talk of them coming together and all recommitting to the team. But no matter what, most of the players on this team are signed to a single year, which is this year. Going into the 2023-2024 season, and this is where I make my point finally, you only have Anthony Davis making a reasonable $40 million. You have Taylor Horton Tucker making 11, and you have Damian Jones making 2.5. After that, the entire roster clears up. No Russell Westbrook with his almost $50 million contract. No LeBron James with his $45 million contract. No anybody. You have nobody on the team. You have a completely blank slate. And on top of that, you basically, going into the 2023 draft, you have a potential swap with New Orleans for for a draft pick. But then after that, you own all of your own first-round draft picks moving forward after that and can either choose to build around Anthony Davis, who would be 30 at the time, with these younger pieces like Taylor Horton Tucker and and whoever else you build after that. But you have your own picks. You have a much, much needed cap space. That free agency draft class or free agency class going into the 2023-2024 season might not be that great, but you could have some availability. Like Kyrie Irving would be available if you wanted to bring him in and give him basically Russell Westbrook's money, right? Because he's playing the one year with Nets, he opted into his last year. He might become available. Um, you ha- The world is your oyster. The point is that you have nothing really holding you back after this season unless you decide to give somebody some stupid money. And Rob Palinka, I have faith in him that he's not going to give anybody stupid money. So as much as I love to hate on the Lakers, I think that they are in a great position and have put themselves in this position to be post-LeBron. Like we're dealing with the Le- LeBron era. We're putting everything better together as we can or as best we can but we're preparing for a world without lebron that's centered on anthony davis and a clean slate after that and it's beautiful so that's the outlook on the lakers again i wanted to keep it short i'm not sure if there's going to be any you know major things that happen in this eight days before this airs with the lakers because they again they are one of the teams with the most flexibility but uh let's take a quick break and we'll go over to new york New York. The Knicks. The Knickerbockers. New York. New York. New York. Get you a slice and some basketball with a mecca. You talk about us, we'll punch you in the mouth. Eh. Anyway, um, <laughs> rewinding the clock, we're going to go all the way back. 2011-2012. And guess who makes another appearance? Mike D'Antoni is head coach right now. And he inherits not a terrible, not a terrible team. Um, they do bring in Iman Shumpert. They're also able to trade for Tyson Chandler by getting rid of Ronnie Turioff and a second-round pick. And the team isn't that bad this lockout-shortened season, right? They have Carmelo Anthony, Marty Starmeyer, J.R. Smith is brought in that year. They have Tyson Chandler, like I mentioned. They just drafted 
Iman Shumpert, Landry Fields, Baron Davis, Jared Jeffries, even Mike Bibby's on the team. Um, but unfortunately, they do have some injuries that year. Iman Shumpert gets injured. That what brings in Jeremy Lin. This is the Lin Sanity season. Uh, basically, Jeremy Lin scores 25 points and had seven assists in his first game where the Knicks won. And then basically was a pra- praised for his ability to facilitate the offense, something the Knicks had struggled to do basically for the first 24 games of the season. Um, he exceeded expectations, likely because of his ethnicity, and was named a starter very quickly. And the Knicks went on a seven-game winning streak. Um, and that was with no Carmelo Anthony and no Marty Stoudemire, who had missed five games with a groin injury. Um, and basically brought the team back to 500. So the, this surge was <laughs> this surge brought so much media attention and was named Lin Sanity, um, which was just insane for for the Knicks publicity. And I think part of the reason is probably because it was a lockout shortened season and there was less time to kind of build up these storylines. You know, the teams were only playing about 66 games or something like that, so it's a shorter season. So by game 25, you're like, man, we're halfway through the season. We need something. And Lynn Sanity is the something that they found. Following uh, that season, Mike D'Antoni resigns at the end of it, um, not even before it's done, and he's replaced by Mike Woodson. The team goes 36-30, and so they do finish better than 500 and they finished seventh in the east but our gentlemen swept in the first round by the heat the thing i'll always remember the most about mike woodson is him in 2k he always looked like he had gloves on which is crazy because he's not a very very dark gentleman and but his hands literally always look like they have gloves on and that 2k team was raw that 2020 2012 2013 2k team um where basically you had like a bunch of shooters carmelo anthony was raw i loved playing with the knicks back then in 2k unfortunately (laughs) they had made some bad decisions um and traded away tony douglas and jerome jordan a second round pick a couple second round picks to bring in marcus canby from the houston rockets and uh you know kendrick lamar has a has a funny line in one of his songs where he says you fools marcus can be washed up i'm trying to be all my people can be um you know or something along those lines and that bar literally comes out as the knicks trade three players and three second round picks and a salary exception to bring him in he was already washed at this point they also bring in raymond felton and kurt thomas by sending away the, the very few draft picks that they do have in the 2012 draft, along with Jared Jeffries, um, to do it. And but basically the Knicks were good though leading up to it. You know, every Carmelo was back, Iman Shumpert was back, um, and by the All Star break, the Knicks were 32 and 18, second in the East, which is very very good, um, despite them making some, I wouldn't say rather strange moves. Um, leading up to that following the all-star break they do complete uh, a trade to bring in some second round picks for uh, sending away Ronnie Brewer who had done a good job for them but they sent him to the Thunder for a couple of second round picks Um, and 
immediately go on a 13-game winning streak uh, towards the end of March that ended on April 11th when they lost to the Bulls. But that was their basically franchise-long winning streak at 13 games, which is pretty impressive to win 13 straight. That's basically like two to three weeks of solid basketball where you don't lose. In that season, they also set the NBA single-season record for three-pointers, so that 2012-2013 season. Again, remember me talking about the 2K team? You could just launch threes with pretty much everyone um, in it. So anyway, the season comes to an end. The Knicks finished 54-28, and second in the East. Probably one of their best seasons that I remember having in a while. Um, They beat the Celtics in the first round in six, and they unfortunately lose to the Pacers in six in the second round, which actually was their first playoff series win since 2000, which also doubles as the year after they had made it to the finals. So they make it to the finals in that 1999 season. The following season, they make it to this at least the second round before they get knocked out, and they weren't able to make it back to the second round for nearly 13 years um, until this season where they had pretty much the best season that they've ever had. Carmelo Anthony wins the scoring title. He gets elected to All-NBA second team. J.R. Smith is elected sixth man of the year. Tyson Chandler gets the All-Defensive first team nod. Like, the team is good, right? Um, 2013-2014, they bring in Phil Jackson as the president of basketball ops. And things don't go great for the Knicks after this, right? They select Tim Hardaway Jr. with the first overall pick or the 24th overall pick in the first round. Um, They trade away Marcus Camby, Steve Novak, and Quentin Richardson, and three picks, two second-rounders and a first-rounder to bring in Andrea Bargiani. Um, And the team really craters. They go 37-45 and to finish ninth in the East. Um, I'd like to think that they had some injury problems here in this 2013-2014 season um but maybe they were just awful <laughs> you know i think they you know a lot of the hang up for this carmelo anthony led team was that he basically his usage rate was too high um and he led the team with 27.4 points that year um and jr smith was the second leading scorer and he had 15 um, they did have some players miss some time, like Tim Hardaway Jr. played 81 games, but Amari Stoudemire only played 65. Tyson Chandler only played 55. Um, the trade piece that they they went for, Andrea Bargiani, played half the season, which is great, uh, but he only contributed 13 points a game. So, you know, the Knicks were in a position to not do very well, and I think missing Tyson Chandler for so much time is, is really what did them in. Um, so at the end of the 2014 season, Derek Fisher takes over for Mike Woodson as head coach. Some changes are made. Tyson Chandler and Raymond Feltman are sent to the Dallas Mavericks for Jose Calderon, Wayne Ellington, two draft picks and two players that are waived. They also immediately trade Wade, Wayne Ellington, uh, for Quincy AC and Travis Outlaw. Uh, they then trade Travis Outlaw and a second-round prick to bring in Arnett Moultrie. Um, and then they trade away Iman Shumpert and J.R. Smith to bring in Lance Thomas, Alex Kirk, a second-round pick, and some trade exceptions. Um, and they're not done. They trade uh, Pablo Prigioni, who was one of their 
mainstays as well for Alexi Shved and two second round picks. Um, and at this point, you've got to think that the team is really just trying to trying to tank, honestly, um, because the team is so bad uh, at this point, right? You still get 24 points a game from Carmelo Anthony, who only plays 40 games in the season. Actually, you know, the, the mainstays of your team are Quincy AC, Tim Hardaway Jr., who's 22, Shane Larkin, who's 22, Jason Smith, who's plays all 82 games. Um, and if you're wondering who's that, don't worry. He only scored eight points a game, played played about 22 minutes a game. So he was on the court for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, Amari Stoudemire only plays 36 games. Jared Smith and Mon Shumpert only plays 24 games before they get traded. But, you know, the team is blown up. And the team goes 17-65. and 65. They finish 15th in the East. It's their worst record in franchise history. So the Knicks have a worst record in franchise history right at the same time that the Lakers are having basically their worst record in franchise history. Um, or they're separated by a year, basically. You know, the Lakers going 21-61 and 61 in that 2014-15 season, and the Knicks going 17-65, and 65, and then the following season, the Lakers going 17-65. and 65. Um, But, uh, you know, that, that season, 2014-2015 season, for the Knicks, you know, they really blew it up and kind of shelved Carmelo, which it does at least lead to them getting the number four overall pick, but they are booed viciously when they take Kristaps Porzingis uh, at the top of this draft. Um, not, and to my mind, not because there were so many better picks, but I think Kristaps Porzingis was just this project. He was a big, which they really didn't need because they had just traded away all their guards. Coming off the worst season in franchise history, Kristaps Porzingis wasn't really the player for the Knicks, and yet the front office took him um, and continued to kind of make moves here. They trade away their 2020 second-round picks and 2021 second-round picks to bring in Willie Hernan Gomez. They also bring in Tim Hardaway Jr., send him away for Jerian Grant and a, a trade exception. Um, and it's kind of like, dude, what are you doing? They sign Robin Lopez, Aaron Afalo, and Derek Derek Williams, and Derek Fisher coaches the team for about half a season until he's replaced by Kurt Rambis. And it's kind of like, Phil Jackson, what are you doing pulling the strings behind the scenes here? Now, the team does double its wins almost, going from 17 to 32 uh, that season, but it's still very, very bad for the Knicks. And Kurt Rambis, as most interim coaches are are is let go for Jeff Hornacek, Hornacek, and and then the Knicks trade for Derrick Rose and Justin Holiday. They don't have to give up much, but it is interesting that they bring in Derrick Rose in the 2016-2017 season because you know at this point he had come back from rehab, uh, rehabbing his knee, not like drug rehab. Um, you know, and, you know, kind of floundered with the Bulls for another two years, you know, playing 51 games one season, 66 games the following, never averaging more than 18 points. 
for the Knicks to trade for him, um, you know, they didn't give up much, which is great, but he wasn't the piece that they needed, or he was maybe just a couple years and an ACL injury late uh, for this team. Uh, the team doesn't finish much better. They go 31 and 51, 12th in the East. That's actually not better. And have the number eight in pick in the next draft and take Frank Nilakina. Um, Phil Jackson is out. His record as tenured is 80 and 166. They had three consecutive losing seasons and obviously missed three playoffs. And they bring in Scott Perry. Steve Mills, who was Phil Jackson's right hand this whole time, is promoted to president. They sign Tim Hardaway Jr. to a long-term deal. But Carmelo at this point is upset, and as he should be, right? You went from a team that was second in the East uh, and doing really, really well to bringing in Phil Jackson, having a ninth in the East, 15th in the East, 13th in the East, and 12th in the East, four years of extreme, extreme mediocrity. The entire team is blown up. Um, since having the most success it's had in about 15 years, and you're clearly going the wrong direction. And Carmelo Anthony demands a trade. Now, the problem with this trade is that when he had signed his most recent contract, which was that very same 2013 year, he stipulated a no-trade clause in it. And so he was only allowed to be traded to the couple of teams that they wanted that he wanted and the list was very short i think it was like miami and la i think were the two teams that he wanted to be traded to and he opened it up after those two trade packages were unsuccessful to oklahoma city and this is where you know oklahoma city picks him up by basically sending over an as Cantor, doug mcdermott uh and a second round pick doug mcdermott is then traded for emmanuel moutier and they trade away Willie Hernan Gomez, who was elected to the all-rookie first team the previous season for Johnny O'Brien and three second-round picks. They waive Johnny O'Brien, so it's obviously a cap space move. Um, but ultimately, what they do is trade Carmelo Anthony for Inez Cantor, four second-round picks, and Emmanuel Moutier. You know, the team isn't going to be good. But surprisingly, the team does better in the standings than it had previous years. They went 29 and 53 in that 2017-2018 season. But ultimately, the head coach cannot stay. David Fisdale replaces Jeff Hornacek. Um, they select Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson in that draft. And here we go. A year after Carmelo demands his trade, Kristaps Porzingis demands his trade. Um and the Knicks give away the freaking farm. They give, they give away Kristaps Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., who they just signed the year before, Courtney Lee, and Trey Burke to, to the Mavericks to bring in DeAndre Jordan, Wesley Matthews, Dennis Smith, luckily a first-round pick, a 2021 first-round pick, and a 2023 first-round pick. They waive... Wesley Matthews pretty much immediately. Dennis Smith and DeAndre Jordan's contracts are expiring contracts, so they allow them to go. And the logic here and and the previous season when they allowed Carmelo Anthony to go and literally finished blowing up the team is that the 2019 draft class, or not draft class, 2019 free agency class was phenomenal. They had a 
bunch of players that they could potentially land. And so they're thinking, hey, Chris Porzingis, he's unhappy, probably have to sign him to a rookie extension or something of, of the like very soon. He doesn't want to be here. Let's get him out of here and Tim Hardaway Jr. out of here, who we just signed the previous year, <clears throat> who, you know, not necessarily wasn't earning his contract, but definitely could be upgraded very easily. The 2019 free agency class was stacked. It had Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker when he still had knees, right? Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, DeMarcus Cousins, Tobias Harris, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle is who they end up landing but it's like you know the team goes 17 and 65 the previous season and that was the plan they were tanking they blew it up right but going into the 2019-2020 season and this beautiful free agency class they are unable to land any of the big stars that i just named and and it's kind of like a chicken and the egg situation right are they unable to land the free agent because they just blew up the team and got rid of anything that's worth playing with? And any star that comes to New York instantly knows that there's no chance of basically being happy there. Now, a couple, I, I, I am getting ahead of myself just a little bit because a couple of these players were restricted free agents, but nevertheless, free agents, they could have offered them a max max salary because they had the cap space to do it but the chicken and the egg remains it's like you know did they blow up the team and that caused them to fail to land a superstar or did they fail to land a superstar because they blew up the team right um you know obviously they blew up the team first thinking that they were going to land somebody but they were unsuccessful unsuccessful and it has to be because of the lack of stability and just basically the ineptness that this team had showed for the last six or seven years at this point, right? How do you go from being the second overall team in the East and basically only faltering in the playoffs, you know, due to basically a bad offensive system to two seasons with the franchise worst record, multiple GMs, multiple head coaches, multiple star players, requesting trades like the Knicks man the Knicks were in trouble during this stretch and so basically they take all of this money that they had and in my eyes they wasted now they are able to get RJ Barrett with a number three overall pick in the 2019 draft so good on them for that but they sign Alfred Payton Wayne Ellington Bobby Portis Taj Gibson Julius Randle none of which and this is in 2019 this is three years none of which we would sign today to a max contract to build your team around. But that's who they did. They also traded Marcus Morris away from Mo Harkless and basically a bunch of first-round picks that had been acquired with him for Marcus Morris, who they just got the previous season. So they're still kind of putting together draft equity and not necessarily keeping cap space open, but like Alfred Payton, Wayne Ellington, Bobby Portis, Todd Gibson, Julius Randle, signing those guys, you're basically hoping that you can portion off a piece of a couple of them better than you could if you just went all in on a star and paid too much. Um, 21 and 45 that season, 12th in the East, another terrible, terrible season. 
Brings us to 2020, 2021. Leon Rose is brought in as the new president. David Fisdale is out as head coach. And Tom Thibodeau is brought in. Um, you get Obi Toppin in the first round. You also get Leandro Balmero, but quickly trade him in a trade that brings Emmanuel quickly to the team. Derek Rose is brought back by trading away Dennis Smith, a couple of picks. Um, and then you also trade Austin Rivers and Ignas Brzdakis for Terrence Ferguson and basically some some capital equity, Vincent Poirier. That season with Thibodeau helming the team, the Knicks have one of the better seasons that they've had in a while. They go, you know, are able to finish fourth in the East. They make the playoffs for the first time since that 2012-2013 season, you know, where they lose to the Pacers in the second round. So they make the playoffs for the first time in seven years. Julius Randle wins most improved player. Tom Thibodeau gets coach of the year. Emmanuel quickly gets all rookie second team. Um, But you get gentlemen swept by the Hawks in the first round, right? And a lot of people thought that that Hawks-Knicks matchup was going to be good, and the Hawks said F that and smoked them, man. It wasn't even close. wasn't even close. They got gentlemen swept. Um, and you have to kind of look at the previous years and all these moves that they made and all the instability that they had and directly point at that, which brings us to last year. Last year, they really, really came back down to earth, right? They finished... 37 and 45, which was 11th in the East, missed the play in game entirely. Julius Randle got signed to a fat contract that ended up being a bad take for the Knicks. Their draft picks were terrible because they were all swaps, and because they made the playoffs, they weren't that high anyway. Um, and then about midseason, they traded away Kevin Knox for Cam Reddish and a 2025 pick and some cap space. They also, during the course of this season, bring in Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, who had, you know, obviously just left their respective teams, but weren't able to contribute a bunch on their previous teams and weren't able to contribute to this Knicks team either. Um, which brings us to this season, right? This season, they flipped Kevin, Kemba Walker and Jalen Duran into a 2025 first-round pick. They pretty much waived Evan Fournier through last year, and he is no longer with the team. Um, <clears throat> you flipped away Alex Burks and Nerlens Noel to bring in, you know, basically some, some draft equity. Sign Mitchell Robinson, sign Isaiah Hartenstein, and sign Jalen Brunson, who's like your big, big sign on of of the summer, and um, are in a weird, weird position. I mean, going into this year, I mean, you have, you know, Julius Randle isn't making like a ton, ton, which is a good thing. He's only making twenty four mil. Jalen Brunson's making twenty four mil. Evan Fournier. Is still on the team making 18 mil. Derrick Rose is making 15 mil. Mitchell Robinson is probably your best signing. He's only making 14 mil. Um, best signing meaning you know, reasonable contract for his contributions. And luckily, you have a bunch of draft equity. You have your own. You have a top 10 protected Dallas Mavericks pick. You have a top 
20 protected Detroit pick. Um, you have Washington's lottery protected pick. So, you know, you basically have four or five picks, four picks heading into the 2023 draft, including your own. Um, but the team isn't going to be good, man. The East is getting deeper and deeper every year. You know, there's talk of a potential Donovan Mitchell trade, which could basically send out likely R.J. Barrett and Derrick Rose or R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, or, you know, R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier, or something along those. You're getting rid of R.J. for sure, um, you know, and then somebody else to make the contracts make sense and maybe one of these picks that you got because you got a lot of picks to bring in Donovan Mitchell, but even him, he doesn't fix what you have. Like, you don't have great guard. You don't have great big men. Like, the Knicks are in a spot where, you know, them making the playoffs in 2020-2021 shortened season was just a blip, right? You were able to, you know, be whatever, five games over 500. But nevertheless, it's like you look at the roster – and it's like it's nowhere near good, and it's going to be bad for a few years. Like Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, and Evan Fournier are all signed at least through the 2024-2025 season, making a reasonable amount. And hopefully after that season, like the the CBA will allow for more um, for more room. But like, man, dude, the Knicks, dude. It, like, whereas the Lakers have a blank slate moving forward, and they're going to be in a great position. The Knicks continue to just have a tough, tough slate in front of them due to previous moves made. But, I mean, Leon Rose hasn't done a great job over these last couple of years either. I mean, they brought in some old talent that just wasn't doing great um, and hasn't necessarily drafted super well to build the team better for the future. And hopefully they are able to do that. Um you know, and hopefully this these takes all make sense <laughs> when this airs. Uh, you know, this could be completely different given, you know, this the status of the the trades that may happen over the next eight days, or maybe there's none. Or maybe there's one, or maybe there's seven. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just, you know, talking about the past here and the Knicks and the Lakers. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like, share, subscribe, and send to a friend. Tell them to like they like it. If you know anybody in New York anybody in LA send them this episode and say what do you think and then have them message me their thoughts and until the next time we speak bye bye